Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 259. And today, today we shall come even closer to escaping the snow. Um, we, um, I was uh, last week, I appreciate all of your assistance and patience in helping me to confront my puzzlement uh, about uh, Legolas walking on snow and me trying to figure out what exactly is going on there and how to react to it and how to understand it. Um, but uh, today we are going to be looking less at his, at Legolas's abilities and more at his attitude, both in the uh, finishing up the passage we were looking at last time, the snow walking passage, and then also looking at um, uh, the following passage when he returns. So um, let us, um, let us see what happens when Legolas deploys his sass. First, however, um, I do wanted to, um, I've got, there's some fun announcements today. So uh, today's announcements, as, as often, really, though I rarely show it, are sponsored by BlackBerry, our new registration system. Well, sort of new, still feels new to me um, at Signum. So there's several things I want to draw your attention to on BlackBerry because they're a lot of fun. So um, first of all, because I've been thinking about it all afternoon, we have Signum University Press stuff um, because I am just this evening doing the final revisions on my uh, my latest chapter, my book, chapter three of my book, also called chapters, chapter 0 0.3, because it's the third chapter on the prologue. Um, and so it's, I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to I'm finishing my discussion of the prologue uh, to the Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's this is this chapter is so much fun. So in this chapter, I'm talking about almost exclusively talking about section four, that is the recap of the Hobbit. And I know for many years, like when I was a kid, I totally skipped this section. Like I didn't even read it because I'm like, I've read the Hobbit, please, right? Like I don't need a recap of the Hobbit. Like I've got it, man. Like I'm ready. Um, so I always used to skip this, um, but. Uh, this is the first time this, uh, you know, this time through writing the book, it was the first time I really sort of sat down with that recap and was looking at the angles that uh, that the narrator is taking and the way that this is all presented so much uh, fun stuff. So that is the chapter I'm just finishing up. It's going to drop this coming Saturday. So uh, for people who are subscribed uh, to my book through the Signum University Press, um, you will get the either the audio recording or the uh, printed text, the ebook text, um, this coming Saturday on the fifteenth. So the uh, the chapter is dropping soon. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm really excited by that. And if you are not subscribed, want to figure out how to do that, just go here on the press page, blackberry.signumuniversity.org, and then just uh, go to the press page, scroll down, and click on Exploring the Lord of the Rings Volume One. And there are the links down here. You need to log in or sign up in order to actually click through um, to the subscription link. But it's there when you log in. So I wanted to show the basic page. Of course, also this weekend is TexMoot. So TexMoot is happening down in San Antonio, Texas this weekend on the 15th of April. Um, I am really excited. The theme for this, uh, the theme for this conference is... Um, constructed languages. Um, so of course we're going to be exploring, not only exploring Tolkien's secret vice in the sense of looking at and thinking about his own languages some, but we're going to be indulging 
in Tolkien's Secret Vice. We're going to be talking about inventing languages ourselves and even doing some, uh, even doing some workshopping and stuff. Um, we've done other, at other moots, we've done like some really fun creative writing workshops and things like that. This time we're gonna um, we're gonna totally uh, uh, do some conlanging workshopping. And yes, yes, uh, Bob. In honor of the fact that it's happening on what is traditionally tax day, April fifteenth, um, we do in fact have a presentation on Aragorn's tax policy. Um, so um, anyhow, yeah. So that's happening this weekend in San Antonio. If you're anywhere near San Antonio, you can still sign up and join us. Um, if uh, you can't make it. To San Antonio this weekend, I understand, but you can still be a part of the fun, and you can join in remotely uh, and be a part of our hybrid moot experience. Um, the third thing, and the main thing I wanted to focus on today, is a, a huge thing that's coming up, and that is our clubs program. So you may have heard me talk about our clubs program before. It's the second anniversary of our Signum Academy clubs program, which is like our space program, except it's for kids. So this is um, just really fun, uh, really fun modules in their book clubs, creative writing clubs, and language clubs, both historical languages and modern languages. Um, and really great opportunity. My kid's been doing this for two years. Uh, it's been great. He's going to, uh, he's starting one of the new clubs. Uh, he's really excited to uh, begin with one of the new things. Uh, here in this uh, in this coming month, um, but if you go to BlackBerry, the, the, this is new on BlackBerry. Clubs has a mini in BlackBerry before, so this is a new thing. And sort of to celebrate our two year anniversary and to celebrate um, the uh, the addition of clubs to our BlackBerry registration system, we're doing a big celebration here at our two year anniversary, and that's our May promotion. So um, everybody who uh, who signs up and who casts a vote, I'll show you what that means in just a second. Um, everybody who signs up and casts a vote um, will get a free month worth of clubs. So your, your kid or your nephew or your you know, granddaughter or whatever um, can, uh, can enjoy a whole month of classes for free. And I just any, any, anybody who signs up, anybody who signs up and votes uh, by April 25th will get uh, May for free. Um, yeah, so this is uh, um, this is it's pretty awesome. L let me let me show you what it looks like. So here are available clubs. Um, for those of you who are familiar with space, this is sort of like space. These are all the clubs that we are offering, and if we get enough votes, if people, uh, you know, if, if if we get enough people, you know, to uh, uh, to form sections of these, then we'll confirm them, and those will definitely run. Uh, so that's why it's voting uh, here. So. Um, we have book clubs. Um, as a, a, a book club here, you can see uh, they're going to be reading Resistance and How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon by Cressida Cowell. Such a good book in June. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so that's what Elise's book club is going to be doing here. This is a middle school book club she's running here. We have a Narnia book club by Julian Barr, whom I got to meet down in Australia, which was fantastic. Julian, as I say, he's this is a, this is a broader middle school and high school uh, Narnia book club. Uh, Elise is also doing a Hobbit book club specifically uh, for middle schoolers. Um, so this will be a, a two-month reading of The Hobbit. Courtney Petrucci, one of our alums at our Signum University MA program, uh, she is teaching a, a, a high school book club on The Lord of the Rings. And then we've got our creative writing club with Sparrow Alden, who does such a wonderful job. And she's open to 
all takers uh, in the Creative Writing Club. Uh, we've got the Japanese Conversation Club. This is the one that my kid's really excited about. Um, so this is a conversation club. So it's designed to help uh, people to understand and speak uh, Japanese. And then we have two translation clubs, our Old English Translation Club, which has been running for some time, and we're, we're starting a new section here. And then also our Latin Translation Club, um, also taught by Julian. So these are, these are the, the clubs that are offering. It's um, no, no prior knowledge of Japanese is required to be earning at all. This is like a from scratch. And there, there may be some people who have a little more experience and some people a little bit less. Um, but everyone is welcome. A prior experience, definitely not, um, definitely not required. So anyhow, this is, um, so yeah, so all you got to do, so hang on a second. Let me, uh, let me go through, hang on. Let me log in a second here. I'm logging in. Okay. So that you can see when I log in, I got two space tokens here. It's going to be cool. Um, so now when I go to available clubs, once you log in, you can register your kid in under family management, right? So you, you, you just create a sign in with any, uh, with any, uh, email that you have. Um, and uh, it's just a free sign in. And then you go to family management and you add kids. So there I've got my kid, uh, uh, added there. Then I go to available clubs and you just hit vote next to the book club next to the club that you want to vote you can vote for more than one and you can you can send a note like you go to family management and just send a note here uh to our awesome people um this is the recent note that i sent to them because they are in fact without exception awesome and uh and just tell me so you can tell them, like which one you're like wanting to prioritize or whatever so i scroll down and uh here it there is my vote for japanese there you go anyway so that's all that you need to do create an account uh, uh, add a kid to your account through the family management thing and then vote on behalf of your kid there in BlackBerry and you get a free month. Um, and again, anybody can do this. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying no conversation would happen in Latin class, Nancy. It's just, the conversation clubs are the modern languages. The translation clubs are the historical languages. You know, one of the reasons that we, that we named them that uh, is because... Um, uh, for some reason, like, you know, I was, I, I was originally going to call them living languages and dead languages, but I guess some people like find that like pejorative. I don't know. But, um, anyway, so, uh, I just, I encourage you to let folks know about this. It's, it's just, it's a huge special that we're running here for May. Um, we're gonna we're we're just opening the doors for everybody because we're so excited about our new clubs. And we just want, uh, as many people. Uh, as possible to uh, uh, to get a chance to experience them. So uh, let people know. Pass the link around, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll we'll have some fun here. So, all right, that is what is going on. Let us move on to Legolas's sass here. Okay. Legolas's sort of his personalization, right? Like his, um, I don't know. I feel like Legolas becomes a real person for the first time and not just, you know, a strange elf with this smile upon his lips as he watches them swimming and burrowing through the snow. 
Right. He watched him for a while with a smile upon his lips. And then he says his rather enigmatic thing that we were talking about last time. The strongest must seek a way, say you. But I say, first of all, the strongest must seek a way, say you. Notice also what he's doing there with the you. I mean, it was, it was Boromir who said it. The strongest must seek a way, right? Boromir's not even in, 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 in hearing range of Legolas here. Right? So he's not saying that to Boromir, who actually said the thing about the strongest must seek a way. The strongest must seek a way, say you. So in what sense is he saying you? Is he talking about, like, addressing you? Well, I, I assume it's you plural that he's thinking here. In other words, it seems to me as if he's taking what Boromir said, and to which there seemed to be general agreement, like Aragorn immediately, you remember, piped in, uh, essentially agreeing, right, that the strongest must seek a way, let us, let us, you know, force a path thither, you and I, right? Um, so yeah, exactly, Nancy. I think he's saying you non-elves. I think that he's he's here making a distinction between himself and everybody else. He's he's lumping them all in together, right? So you, like mortal folk, all seem to be in agreement in agreement about this whole the strongest must seek a way thing, right? So you folks are over there, but I say over here, right? So he is, you know, we were talking about how, last time I was talking about how strongly um, his elfiness is emphasized here, right? You know, his, his, his elf nature. Um, but he's emphasizing it himself, right? He is separating himself out in a different category from them, not just in the way that, like, I mean, Anybody can do that in one way or another, right? You know, like, you know, Mary could be like, I'm the only brandy buck here and, and it's me and then the rest of you, right? I mean, everybody could just, you know, draw some kind of distinction between themselves and everybody else. Um, but it's not like that. Again, the way that he takes Boromir's statement as the sentiment of the party, but he holds himself aside from that. He sees things a different way. He knows different stuff, right? Is this what you say? Is that what you think is going on here? Right? Is that how you think it has to be? But I say, um, you know, choose an elf for these things. And then he springs forth nimbly. Um, then he turns, as he's springing away, now is where really the sass begins. The smile upon his lips was the, was the start of it, right? And I don't think... I don't think that there's mockery there. Like I don't think there's scorn there. I don't think he's being mean at all. Um, in fact, that sentence, Legolas watched them for a while with a smile upon his lips, and then he turned to the others, always struck me as somewhat, um, I don't know, affectionate? Um, sort of indulgent? Right? There's something of... Um, you know, a grown-up watching children play on the playground about that whole thing. You know, I, do you see what I mean? Like, it's not. It does not seem to me mean. I wouldn't say bemused because uh, I. I wouldn't say bemused because I don't think he's like. I don't get the impression that there's any negative. I think he's looking at them and they're being and and saying, "That's really adorable." Right? I think he he. He finds it cute 
uh, in its way. Amused, yeah. He, I think he's more amused than bemused. But again, it's not like he's just laughing at them either. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's mockery here. And that's why I think of the um, the playground image. A, a tinge condescending? Oh, totally condescending, Edith. But I don't think condescending in a bad way. Um, nobody likes being condescended to in the modern world anymore. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and later he will refer to them all as children, JJ. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think it's remembering ahead to that line, um, you know, since I began traveling with you children, um, that influences me in my interpretation of this, of this smile and the way that he, um, um, yeah, well, he's several thousand years older than Gandalf too, Mr. Benway, Mr. Benway. I mean, Gandalf's what? You know, a couple thousand years old, right? I mean, Gandalf's a newcomer. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I including Gandalf, actually. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, right, exactly. Aloran is old, Gandalf not so much. Exactly right, exactly right. Um, I don't know that we know when Legolas was born, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't remember that being in the chronologies. Um we know. I mean, we know that Thranduil's father is killed in the Battle of the Last Alliance. So, like at the beginning of the Second Age, so Legolas's father has been ruling in Mirkwood since the beginning of the Second Age. So uh, that doesn't prove that Legolas was born in the Second Age, but for that reason, I'll I am. Um, uh, I've always sort of assumed that he was born sometime mid-late Second Age, maybe, but I, I, we don't know. We don't know. Um, and no, we have no idea who Legolas' mom is either. Yeah, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. Um, anyway, I think that his tone is very light. Now, let's look at the two other things that he does, apart from his smiling I want to say indulgently, benevolently, affectionately um, first we have his parting remark to Gandalf farewell, I go to find the sun picking up on Gandalf's irritable remark now remember, the remark that he's responding to is the one whose irritability <laughs> Tolkien nerfed considerably, right? That was, it was the the comment in which in, in the first draft, Gandalf suggested lighting Legolas on fire and using him as a torch, right? Um, he doesn't say that in the, in the final text, but, um, but there's a, um, the fact that his remark, Gandalf's remark, um, about the elf going to find the sun. Uh, you know, if elves could fly over mountains, they might fetch the sun to save us. He turns from there immediately to say, but I must have something to work on. I cannot burn snow. Right? There's a kind of weariness in that admission. Right? Frustration in that admission. Like he, one of the reasons that he's being irritable, Gandalf, is that he has 
been compelled to confess that he can't do, um, you know, that he's incapable of saving them in the way that uh, Legolas describes there. Um, so, um, yeah, so, okay. Um, in the first half of his statement, then, the, his crack about elves going to fetch the sun, he was making... Legolas had made the suggestion, which at the time we were discussing it, I was saying it sounds to me like a genuine suggestion, more clueless than anything. If anything, also a little bit kindly, right? Like he like he wants to first give Gandalf a chance of being the hero, right? Um, like, oh, this is Gandalf's party, right? In more than one sense. This is Gandalf's party, so I'm going to let him do the heroic thing, right? So first, I'm going to suggest that, you know, Gandalf should, um, you know, burn his way out. Like, that was pretty dramatic when he lit the fire last night. So maybe he can do something like that again, and that would be, like, super cool. And he would be, like, you know, looking pretty awesome. So I'll try to build Gandalf up, right, by making the suggestion that, you know, maybe he could solve it with his fire magic thing, because that was awesome. And we agreed that, well, at least... I stated, and some of you agreed with me, um, that I think that his suggestion is merely clueless. Like, he seems to believe, you know, or at least, you know, consider that Gandalf could actually do that. And um, uh, then Gandalf's snarky response is responding to what he believes he clearly is receiving as an absurd suggestion. Right. It is as absurd as saying that the elf could fly over the mountain to fetch the sun. Right. So when Legolas turns and tosses that back to Gandalf, farewell, I go to find the sun. And again, doesn't that doesn't it sound. Uh, isn't this a a cheerful rejoinder? I mean. There is a sense in which. Legolas is fetching the sun here, right? Um, it is very... He is doing hobbitry very well, praise. I agree. Um, but again, the tone here... There's, it's, there's almost flippancy. Legolas seems to be having fun. Everyone else was facing, you know, probable death, right? Um, but Legolas is... is um, Legolas is definitely... Um, it just, um, I don't know. He's just having fun. Um, yes, he's turning a jest at his expense back on the jester, Scott. I, I, I exactly agree. And it is very playful. It's very playful. Um, yeah, yeah. And Bjorning, yes, and I saw several, uh, people say this. There is something very tra la la about this. Um, I would also say this is also very it's 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 even like it even reminds me of the um, the heave ho splash plump song from The Hobbit. Right. The the barrel rolling song. Um, that is what we see in The Hobbit is that elves have fun doing everything. Right. I mean, this they. They just, they are able to find delight in everything that they do and everything that happens. The perspective of Legolas 
in this moment is in some ways the strangest thing that we've seen from him but it is it is strange in the direction of being refreshing and delightful um even his, again the smile upon his lips remember again if 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 my theory is right about that he really was trying to give gandalf a chance to be the hero um and really believed he might be able to go in front of them with a flame and melt the snow wouldn't that be cool? Um, if I'm right about that, then now he's, you know, so Gandalf says no, right? Sort of rudely, uh, snarkily. And then Boromir is like, the strongest must seek away. And then he and Aragorn are like, yep, let's do it. And now there they are. Off they go. They're digging. They're swimming. They look kind of silly, right? Um, but but it's not just that they look silly. He's not just laughing at them, right? He's not just mocking them. He's looking. He's like, and and you know, shucks, wouldn't you know it? Like, look, they're actually doing it. They're burrowing their way through the snow. That look, that is awesome, right? That is awesome. Legolas seems to think as he looks on them with a smile on his lips, and then he is just spreading the sunshine, right? Um. Uh, Returning Gandalf's snark, though not as Gandalf might return it, right? Um, that is to say, notice there's no insult to Gandalf contained in the response, which means it's it's not how Gandalf would have done it, right? Gandalf, Gandalf would have, if somebody had been snarky to him that way, um, he would have uh, he would have probably sent it back with a little topspin on it, right? Um, but that's not what Legolas does. Right. Instead, Legolas seizes upon the image that Gandalf only said in his frustration, reaching for something ridiculous in order to attempt to convey and to make clear exactly how nonsensical and unrealistically foolish Legolas' suggestion was. And so he seizes on that and and says that he's going to um the joke on Gandalf is that he's going to make it true right he's going to take off and Abelard's drunk I completely agree he's not grumpy at all i don't see him being grumpy in any way um i go to find the sun so cheerful so cheerful i'm going to do it too then swift as a runner over firm sand he shot away and quickly overtaking the toiling men here comes Point three. The first point is the smile on his lips. The second point is the return snark to Gandalf. And the third is the wave, right? With a wave of his hand, he passed them. Bye, guys! And sped into the distance and vanished around the rocky turn. Um, uh, that is cheeky, Bjorning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's the, but the wave is, uh, is it's like the, you know the cherry on the cheerfulness Sunday from Legolas here, right? And on the one hand, again, the interesting thing is that almost every single one of these things could potentially be taken. I mean, if you were, like, determined to hate Legolas or something, right, you could... Um, you could characterize... Like, if you were a director who are trying to depict this scene on screen, you as director could give the Legolas actor stage instructions, which 
would, could make him sound complete. And, and you could stay exactly to the dialogue and, and try to depict it exactly as described in this moment. And you could make him seem horrible, right? Um, you could you could make him look like he was mocking them, right? Um, you know, kicking sand in their face as they as he as he runs by, right? You, you totally. You could make that. You could make that work. I don't think you could really make it stick to Legolas, but you could, you could, you, you could have a go at that, right? But I think that is so uh, distant from this. Um, he, by waving at them, he includes them in the joke, right? They didn't get the benefit of the dialogue, either. The, uh, you know, his. Um, plowing an otter thing that he did for the other one or his quip about finding the sun. Um, but the wave sort of stands in for that, right? He's sort of including them in the joke. Here they are burrowing and plowing, you know, the strongest seeking away. And that's like cool and everything. But um, off he goes. <clears throat> he has another plan. Um, now, it is important to notice, of course, it's not actually a plan, right? I don't know that, Le you know, it's not like Legolas is holding out necessarily um, on the group, right? Like, I, I, I doubt, I mean, I don't know the mechanics for how his walking on snow power works. Maybe he could carry all of them, including Bill the Pony, uh, and still walk along the snow while doing it. Um, I don't know. I doubt it, though. But... Hey, again, I don't understand it, so um, who am I to say? Uh, I, guess I don't think this is a question of, like, I was just for a joke, letting all of you think that you would die and not telling you that I could just get out of this anytime we wanted to. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I don't think... Um, I, don't, I don't think that that's the situation. I, I don't think he could get them out. Again, he... He wanted to let Gandalf be the hero. I think he's delighted watching Aragorn and Boromir burrowing. They're, he sees, he takes delight and amusement in that moment. But I think that one of the things that makes him smile is that, like, it, they're, they're going to do it. And, of course, what is he doing? He's not just randomly running. He's not just like, actually, I'll run over the pass and be right back or whatever. I mean, he's going he's gonna to scout for them. He's helping them. Right. Um, as in fact, we're going to we're going to hear about. Um, but. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, exactly. Praise. He, he really is going to contribute um, and he's off to, you know, he's off to do something helpful. Um, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the wave of his hand. And and you're right, I, I missed it. Who talked about uh, this being a, a punchline with no setup <laughs> whatsoever, right? From Boromir and Aragorn's perspective, right? Um, and uh, it's possible that they might be inclined to grumble a little bit, right? But I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, no, Bjorning, I'm not trying to overestimate what Legolas does here, um, like what he accomplishes in the, even in this scene. Um, but um, uh, but it, my point is that he's not just, he's not merely frolicking, right? Like he's not out there like making snow angels. Wait a second. If elves don't sink in the snow, can elves make snow angels? Is that even possible? Do they just like bounce off it, right? Is they do they not even make enough of an impression? Maybe a very very faint version, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I see. They are snow angels. Likely about that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> Penlaw, uh, yeah, uh, you always imagine um, Aragorn laughing at it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that that makes sense. Aspen, they make spiritual snow angels? Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Um, yeah. Let's keep going. More Legoists. The others waited huddled together, watching until Boromir and Aragorn dwindled into black specks in the whiteness. At length, they too passed from sight. The time dragged on. The clouds lowered, and now a few flakes of snow came curling down again. An hour, maybe, went by, though it seemed far longer, and then at last they saw Legolas coming back. At the same time, Boromir and Aragorn reappeared round the bend far behind him, and came laboring up the slope. "'Well!' cried Legolas as he ran up. "'I have not brought the sun. She is walking in the blue fields of the south, and a little wreath of snow on this red-horn hillock troubles her not at all.' But I have brought back a gleam of good hope for those who are doomed to go on feet. There is the greatest wind drift of all just beyond the turn, and there our strong men were almost buried. They despaired until I returned and told them that the drift was little wider than a wall, and on the other side the snow suddenly grows less, while further down it is no more than a white coverlet to cool a hobbit's toes. Okay. Yeah, I, Bjorn, I'm really tempted to talk about that first paragraph, because there's a, a lot of cool stuff there. But I want to let's, we started talking about Legolas's um, speeches and I want to uh, uh, I want to stick with that here. So um, so let's, let's jump here to the third paragraph. Well, I have not brought the sun. So he comes back and reports his failure uh, in his uh, sun gathering mission, right? Legolas not willing to let the joke go, right? Which is fine, right? He's 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 continuing, he's continuing the joke. But notice what he says: she is walking in the blue fields of the south. First of all, Legolas, of course, is very far from unique in referring to the sun as she. The female pronoun used of the sun is common throughout, and we get that. Um, you know, we, as I recall, have a footnote explaining that in. Um, the uh, you know in the prancing pony, way back, so we know this is a thing, but it doesn't come up that often, right? Um, and the way he talks about the sun, she is walking in the blue fields of the south. The the familiarity, um, uh, the familiarity of the um, uh. The, f the familiarity with which he speaks of the sun um, extends the joke, but he's extending the joke in a new way, right? I'm still talking about the sun. Um, 
there's, first of all, a reassurance there, right? She is walking in the blue fields of the South. Um, I would, um, I don't want to go too far. But this passage reminds me just a little bit, like Legolas's attitude in this passage reminds me just a tiny bit um, uh, of Sam's seeing the star in Mordor. One of their... They were near despair. They were... Especially the hobbits were very afraid that they were going to freeze to death in this snow, right? Um, will we ever see the sun again, right? The, 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 the snow, you know, the storm continued all night long. And then when the, when the morning came, the clouds are still covering the sky. We can't see the sun at all. And it looks like it's about, and in fact, it's just started to snow again. And, uh, you know, Gimli was talking about Karathras still having uh, snow yet to fling at them, right? Um, and what does Legolas come back and say? Well, this snowstorm on the hill is but a small and passing thing, right? Out in the blue fields of the south, the sun is having a cheerful walk, right? So, yes, the blue fields of the south, that I... I he is referring to the sky, I believe, right? She's walking the blue fields of the south. Um, down in the south, because it's wintertime, right? So the sun is in the south. Um, uh, and that's why it's cold where they are uh, with snow. And, and the sun, frankly, is not even a little bit concerned about their situation. Why? Because... The sun doesn't care about them because they don't matter, because they're not important. No, because the whole thing is not a big deal, right? This deadly storm that they have been caught in, which could potentially have led to their deaths, he characterizes as only a little wreath of snow on this red horn hillock. Red horn hillock, that's kind of a, it's kind of a jab, don't you think? Right? I mean, uh, t towards... Karathras, I mean, right? I mean, talk about impugning the dignity of the mountain with whom they are, like, locked in struggle here, right? And he sort of flips his hand and uh, diminishes. Exactly, he's making a molehill of a mountain, Aranas. Exactly so. Exactly so. Um, and there's something... Um, there's something charming and even f slightly funny about using the archaic word hillock as well. If he had just said, and a little wreath of snow in this red horn hill troubles her not at all, it would be merely an insult, right? But to call it a hillock is sort of a classy insult, right? You're not only small and insignificant, you're also old. Um, uh, Yes, Boromir's horn, hobbitry to the mountain itself. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I certainly, Bjorning, I certainly agree that what we're getting here is a little infusion of Estelle 
from Legolas in some sense, right? There's, there's a that's why I was reminded of the that moment with Sam. It's obviously this situation is okay. I was about to say the situation is nothing like as bad as that, and that's true. But by that time, they've had a bit of schooling, as Sam will say. At this stage in their journey, this is as bad. This is as bad as anything they've ever experienced. Well, the Baromites might have been worse, but still, I mean, this isn't. This is like top three, right? This is definitely to four, at least four, at least top four. Um, ex uh, you know, worst experiences they've had. Anyway, the point is, you know, they um, uh, they're not even themselves ready for the situation uh, for the situation there, but um, for the the situation in Mordor, I mean. Um, but Legolas is able to give them this quite new perspective and the sun is not coming. Why is the sun not coming? Because they're not going to be safe. No, because it's not even necessary, right? Because who cares about a little wreath of snow, little wreath of snow as if the snow were like decorative merely, right? It's just, um, it's just a little wreath, right? It's just, um, you know, um, sprucing up the mountain a little bit, right? It's just a cosmetic change to the environment. It's no big deal, right? The sun isn't even troubled. She, she's not going to, she wouldn't bother to come. He went to fetch the sun. He found the sun, right, is his implication. And the sun was like, oh, whatever, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You don't even need me, right? Yeah, I'm not going to, like, whatever. Uh, you know, I can't be bothered about every little thing, right? And this is the perspective that he's bringing back to them. This is just a little thing. But I have brought back a gleam of good hope for those that are doomed to go on feet. So he then segues from that, from that larger context, to the specific good news that he gives, right? But now specifically, notice how he says a gleam of good hope. Right? So he starts with Estelle and then he shifts to Umdir, right? But he diminishes it. He first he diminishes their problem and then he's like, oh, I've found a gleam of good hope for those to go on feet, right? He doesn't build them up by claiming to have a like a sudden solution, right? Or a complete um recon you know, a complete, you know, like that's like a, a sudden fix to the problem. Um a gleam of good hope. And then he tells the story of what he just did. There is the greatest wind drift of all just beyond the turn, and there are strong men. We're almost buried. Love the capitalization of strong men. That is continuing the other joke. The strongest must make a way, say you. Right? Um, these are the strong men. Capital S, capital M. Right? The strong men were almost buried. So the, the strong men were almost thwarted. Um, they despaired. So, as you would, <laughs> if the, it's really hard, as we said before, to force your way through like four feet of snow. Like if you if you got you know, if if the snow is up to your chest, and you're trying to force your way and swim your way through the snow, um, that is uh, not only very very hard work. It's also very very cold. I don't know what they have for gloves. You know, I don't know how good their boots are. I don't know. Um, but it's can be really, really uncomfortable, right? Um, 
But then imagine you're forcing your way through four feet of snow and then you suddenly come on a point where now it's like seven feet of snow, eight feet of snow. Like they can't see across it and they don't know how far it goes on. Like if you really can't, like you'd have to tunnel through the snow at that point. You re- it's almost impossible, especially if it's powdery, right? Almost impossible to get through a drift of snow that high. Um, So, and they have no way of knowing what's on the other side. For all they know, it could have accumulated there. It could be, you know, seven feet of snow for, you know, 20 feet or 50 feet or something like that, right, Um, down the path. Uh, So... Yeah, oh, Maribeth, I have to imagine. They have to be absolutely soaked through by this time. Absolutely. Um, And I'm going to assume that they both have gloves, but I'm going to assume that they both have leather gloves, right? Um, Which, like, I've done snow in leather gloves, and that doesn't work well for very long. Um, But um, anyway, so they... um, it is very understandable that they would be near despair when they saw a drift of that size because they were almost buried in it. They would have been buried in it if it had continued at that depth. They despaired until I returned and told them that the drift was little wider than a wall. And on the other side, the snow suddenly grows less. By the way, I always imagined, I remember as a kid reading this when he says a little wider than a wall. And I was always, I was picturing like a partition in my house. Right. So I was imagining this wall of snow that was like, you know, um, you know, like six, you know, four, six inches, you know, uh, wide, which I don't think so. Yeah. Um, uh, most likely a wall like a city wall or something like that. Um, so probably, yeah, like more like 10 feet thick, 10 feet thick, uh, Aranos, Exactly. Exactly. That, I suspect, is the kind of wall that it is like. Um, And on the other side, um, on the other side, the snow suddenly grows less. And by the way, so it's not exactly a unit of measurement, Mudmore, you're exactly right. But notice what Legolas is implying. Still in the context of, this is the gleam of good news, right? The good news is that this wall has been thrown up. It is quite like a fortification wall. It is a wall that is designed to keep them in. It points to, it suggests, right, very strongly, that this was a deliberate, you know, fortification, a deliberate buildup of snow designed to hem them in and prevent their escape. Um... It is actually a wall, right? A wall of snow that has been thrown up like a city wall, like uh, a castle wall. Um, With malice aforethought. That's a pretty heavy thing to drop, right? I mean, reading through the lines and what Legolas is saying here, he's actually revealing that, yeah, confirmed the mountain is actually trying to kill us. And has taken pretty active steps to prevent our escaping from the trap that we have stepped into 
right? Um, but Legolas does it in the context of his um, first that whimsically stated Estelle moment, and then in the context, it's he's not telling them something alarming. He's telling them the gleam of good hope, right? Why they should believe that they can escape, you know, this red horn hillock. Um, and on the other side, the snow suddenly grows less, while further down it is no more than a white coverlet to cool a hobbit's toes. I saw the question before, does this suggest that the hobbits are barefoot? Um, I think that the hobbits are not barefoot, and you can tell on account of they seem to still have all of their toes later on. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I think Legolas also knows full well that hobbits don't habitually wear shoes. Uh, and so he's, um, I think, I think instead of this pointing to the fact that the hobbits are not wearing boots at this time, I think they're clearly wearing boots at this time, again, on account of still having all of their digits. I think the point that he's making is, um, not only are you not going to freeze to death, just around the corner, you could take your boots off and you'd be fine, right? You could do your hobbit barefoot thing and there would be barely enough snow to cool your toes, right? Um, so, um, yes. Oh, Aspen, what a wonderful observation. I love that. Um, Aspen is pointing out that uh, whereas the, the the narrator was describing the snow like a shroud before it, this, the, the, the mountainside was shrouded in snow, like it's a dead body wrapped in a burial cloth. Now it's a coverlet, a white coverlet to cool a hobbit's toes. It's like a little baby blanket down there, right? So it changes from, uh, I mean, talk about extremes, you know, like a little coverlet on a little baby bed uh, compared to a shroud, right? To wrap around a corpse. Um, yeah, yeah, that is... Um, uh, that is that is a really interesting catch there, Aspen, and really does show what Legolas is doing here. Legolas is being really, really helpful. Not just because he was able to scout it out and tell them like what it is that they're facing and what they have to, you know, and that they don't have to worry that it's going to continue on for a quarter of a mile, you know, eight feet deep. Um, he, um, uh, he just, um, more importantly, his major contribution, he's the one who changes the tone. Although even Gandalf was um, not in the greatest headspace on this particular morning, right? Um, as Legolas has continually and teasingly told him. Um <laughs> yes, Silk West, could I agree? Legolas even belittles the metaphors. Exactly. He starts he starts off by uh, belittling his companions, then he belittles the mountain, and now he's belittling the narrator's own metaphors, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes, the merriment of Legolas. He, he's, remember Sam's comment about how he wishes this snow would go off to Hobbiton, because folks might enjoy it there? Um, 
by the time we get to the end of Legolas's speech, this all sounds like fun again, doesn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Pope says Gandalf might not have said he would light Legolas on fire, but he was still thinking it. <laughs> I think he may well have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, anyway, it's the greatest accomplishment, I think, of Legolas is what he does here to change the tone. Even, you know, Boromir was the one who stepped up and bravely, thoughtfully, politely, diplomatically took charge, right? When something, somebody needed to do something and everybody else was out of ideas, Boromir stepped up and said, well, when heads are at a loss, bodies must serve. I volunteer to be the manual labor. Um, and then Aragorn immediately jumping with him and following his lead both in terms of his physical trip down the mountain um, and in terms of his leadership, right? And the, the leadership move that Boromir just made. Um, but it's Legolas who lifts the mood, right? Um, and yes, Amdir and Estelle in chorus. Exactly, exactly. Um, this gets emphasized, going back to that first paragraph now. The cheerfulness of Legolas, the merriment of Legolas, the, um, the, that little Estelle and Amdir in stereo that Legolas comes back with here is really emphasized by the, the middle paragraph of this section that is the first one at the top of this slide. The others waited huddled together, watching until Boromir and Aragorn dwindled into black specks in the whiteness. At length, they too passed from sight. The time dragged on. The clouds lowered. And now a few flakes of snow came curling down again. Um, an hour, maybe, went by, though it seemed far longer. I mean, an hour. Imagine that, right? Imagine just standing there waiting for an hour. Are they even going to come back? Did something happen? Um, I mean, an hour is a long, long time just to wait in uncertainty. And you can see it. Um, all they can do is just watch Boromir and Aragorn until they dwindle into black specks in the whiteness. Right? So they're... And then they pass from sight completely. The time dragged on. Another one of those really lovely short sentences. Right? And then that last sentence really captures the mood. The clouds lowered. Uh, this is not lowered. I am about 98% sure that this is lowered. The clouds are lowering, uh, which means hovering over them forebodingly, uh, maliciously. Um, if the sky is lowering, it means the sky is threatening. It means you're looking up and you're like, it's about to start precipitating any second here. So the clouds aren't just lowering. They're not just getting lower down, right? The clouds are lowering, uh, which again, that means um, that is how you describe a sky that is threat. That like, you're like, any second it's going to cut loose. Any second, 
right? We've all seen skies like that, right? Maybe whether they're rain clouds or whether they're snow clouds, exactly like before a thunderstorm, Bjorning, exactly like that. Um, when you're like any second, it's just gonna it's just gonna open up, right? Um, yes, the clouds are like that. Like this. Yes, Karathras has a good deal more snow yet to fling at them, right? And now it's coming. A few flakes of snow came curling down again. Their companions are gone. The strong men are out of sight. Legolas is out of sight. It's Gandalf, Gimli, Bill, and the Hobbits. And it's, it's them against Karathras. This awareness of the malice of the mountain. We were suspecting last night that the snow was uh, was deliberate, right? That it was not an accident. During the storm, remember the comments about uh, fell voices on the wind, right? Um, or you know, uh, the you know, the, there being fell voices. What those call it, the wind who will, and Aragorn saying it is the wind, but you're not wrong. Remember that whole discussion. Um, Gimli has said flatly this morning, clearly, Karathras has not yet forgiven them, right? Karathras is not planning to let them go. And they are, as they sit and wait, there is nothing that they can do other than be more and more aware of this enemy that they're facing. How do you fight a mountain? How do you fight a snow mountain in January when you are in the high passes of that mountain. They are in the domain of Karathras. They are more completely in the power of Karathras than Mary was in the power of Old Man Willow. Right? I mean, it's almost like that. Um, them escaping from Karathras is like when Merry and Pippin are released from Old Man Willow by Tom Bombadil. That's how thoroughly they have been entrapped at the heart of the power of this strong um, and malevolent creature, right? Who has drawn them into its, uh, uh, into its, uh, you know, uh, domain, right? And now is going to keep them there and destroy them. So notice how in a sense, how big the mountain is looming here. The clouds lowered, and now a few flakes of snow came curling down again. What can they do? They're helpless. They don't even have any firewood left. They can't even light a fire again. Um, what if... What if the snow... I mean, it's been an hour. What if, what if the snow accumulates more before Boromir and Aragorn can even make it back. If it starts snowing really hard again, they could easily get trapped out there and freeze to death out in the middle of the snow while the rest of them huddle against the cliff and freeze to death there. Right? I mean, it's, 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 a, um, it's a break, right? It's not as bad as it looked the night before, but they are still trapped. It's almost like the mountain is toying with them right, by stopping the snow for a little while, just to let them sort of perceive and savor, you know, the terror and hopelessness of their situation uh, before it starts snowing on them again. I mean, yeah, cheerful thoughts, Jackie, exactly. And, and what have they 
other than these uncheerful thoughts for an entire hour while they wait. Um, yeah. And Bjorning, you are absolutely right. There is no... Um, wading off through four feet of snow to try to make a path to somewhere is not recommended. This is... It is very possible for that to lead uh, to uh, hypothermia and subsequent death, right? Um, it's, it's really... Uh, not at all a given that Boromir and Aragorn are coming back. It's really not. Um, but then we have the turn, right? Literally the turn as Legolas and Boromir and Aragorn start coming back. Then at last they saw Legolas coming back. Now, um, right, Aranas exactly, or oops, I found the edge of the path. Absolutely, yes, you could completely burrow your way off a cliff. That would not be hard at all under the circumstances. Um, Legolas comes back. Now, notice, notice what, um, notice what that suggests. It didn't take Legolas an hour to get down to the snow wall. He wasn't digging. What's he been doing for the last hour? Um, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't explain that. The one thing that he says about himself is they were they despair, despaired until I returned and told them that the drift was a little wider than a wall. So like that one scouting thing is the only thing that he kind of gives himself credit for doing, right? Um but it's very clear. Talking with the sun, yes, yes, exactly. That seems to be, um, that seems to be very possible. I can't rule out that he is making spiritual snow angels mud more. Absolutely, um, I, I think he's clearly stayed with them. Um, he, I don't know if there are ways in which he was helping them, or if he was merely encouraging them, directing them. Right, helping them to find the path of least resistance through the wall, helping them to make sure that they didn't, you know, fall off a cliff, all of those things. Um, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure exactly what he is, uh, what he was doing, because we're not told, right? But he clearly stayed with them and kept them company. Notice that they see him coming back at the same time that he does not return to the company until Boromir and Aragorn are themselves returning down the path that they've already made, right? So, um, which will not be trivial. Um, again, it's not like it's going to be a neat path with square sides or something, right? Um, but still, he knows they're not going to fall off a cliff now because they're coming back the way that they came, uh, which was which was safe. Um, but... Um, uh, but yeah, so I think that um, uh, I think that I think that it was clear and it's made clearest of all by what he does when he gets back here. Look at, you know, back to the where we began with this slide, the um, the Amdir and Estelle. I, I, and I have every reason to think that he has deploying his uh, 
you know, his merriment and his gleams of good hope for the benefit of Boromir and Aragorn as they've been digging this whole time. And he's stayed with them when he didn't have to. Um, he might, it might have been kind of him to run back and tell the, uh, remember it's only a furlong. So if you can run across the top of the snow, like it's uh, firm sand, you could, you could, he could have gone back and forth 10 times, you know, in this time. Um, but he, um, but he hasn't done that, right? Instead, he stuck with Aragorn and Boromir, I presume, because they needed him more, right? Um, and look at, well, we'll see in a second, their attitude as they come back. I think, uh, I think it's pretty clear that he has been effectively cheering them. As he sort of implies, right, that, I mean, explicitly what he says. He was there to combat their despair. They despaired. He brought hope. That's, that's his job. That's the job Legolas has taken on himself today. First he brings hope to Aragorn and Boromir. Then he brings hope back. So he doesn't come back with the sun, but he does come back with hope. And he went down with hope, right? Kind of brought the sun with him the whole time, actually, right? That's, that's what Legolas does through this entire passage. Um, um, yes, Bjorning, I agree. That line is kind of scary. Imagine Aragorn and Boromir actually despairing. Yes, which is very possible. I mean, again, like, you don't want to mess around with the word despair, when it's frigid cold and you're in four feet of snow, right? Um, the, like, uh, I feel hopeless. I will just sit down for a little bit and, like, reflect on how hopeless things are. That's, like, that's, that's, that's the fast road to hypothermia right there, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is, it is not good. It is not good. Um, but yeah, he... This is, I think, one of the moments. I think this is going to be, you know, a top five moment for Legolas's entire career with the Company of the Ring. I don't know that he ever accomplishes more, much more, than he accomplishes today. Um, I mean, there will be some big moments. The shooting of the Nazgul out of the air in the dark, for instance, comes to mind. But, um, uh but this is this is a big moment and he is the one even in, including gandalf he is the one legolas is the one who has really been working in the other direction who has really been working against um the the despair which to which all of them seem to be inclining to some extent or others um yeah yeah so we will um we will see. We'll see. We, you know, we will get lots of other Legolas moments over the years. But this is a, um, this is a, this is a pretty big one. Um, yeah. By the way, I think just thinking of the, thinking of the gap of time, thinking about how quickly Boromir and Aragorn reappear after Legolas returns, tells me that he didn't even abandon them at the wall and let them make their way up. He stayed with them 
until they got quite close. And then he runs on ahead back. So I, this is why I think Legolas has clearly been keeping them company um, for some time. Um, Bjorning, that's really interesting um, that this Legolas moment kind of represents the role of elves in this third age epic. They're cheerleaders and reminders of the high beauty rather than doers of deeds. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's right. Um, reminders of the high beauty. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, Ever, I don't know if he actually helped them dig. Right? I mean... Again, I don't... This is where I struggle with not knowing how his snow density... I mean, can he dig? Like, what happens if he tries to dig his hands into this? Do they bounce off? Right? Does he just have some snow repulsion field or something? I don't really get it. Um, um, yeah. Not really sure. Um, exactly. Maybe his hands make little imprint as well. Uh, yeah. No clue. This is one one of the reasons among many that I wish I understood his snow walking just a little bit better. But um, I saw a couple of people talking about this, and it's just about time to go. But one last question I have before we finish tonight. Um, I saw people talking about Aragorn knowing Legolas, like that he would have known him from Mirkwood, possibly. Um, let's review for a moment. What evidence in the text? Is there any evidence in the text? I mean, I, the hard thing, of course, and let's just state it up front. Um, we're just, Maggie and I were just talking about this at Other Minds and Hands last week. We were talking about the depiction of Legolas and Gimli uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring film, especially. We spent some time talking about the snow scene, actually. Um, uh, but, of course, one of the things that Maggie and I were discussing there was the way in which they make Legolas a kind of insider because he is already buddies with Aragorn, right? Like the two of them know and trust each other and clearly have a substantial pre-existing relationship. Um, that's clear from the very first time, um, well, from the second time, I guess, we see Legolas at the Council of Elrond. Um, and then we get a bunch of that from other, uh, from other things. My question is, do we have any evidence of that in the text? Does book, do book Aragorn and book Legolas show any evidence of acquaintance or friendship prior to now? And I'm not talking about situations like, yes, I agree. Aragorn brought Gollum to Mirkwood which shows, A, he's been there at least once, and B, probably more than once, because he knew how to get right to Thranduil's halls with a prisoner in tow. So he wasn't, like, bringing Gollum as a prisoner and being like, and while I have this hostile and annoying prisoner, I will um, take this opportunity to randomly explore the length and breadth of Mirkwood until I find the Wood Elves, right? He clearly knew where he was going, or he wouldn't have even done that, right? So... I, 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 yes, you can say logically that he must have been to Mirkwood on multiple occasions and therefore would almost certainly have met Legolas before. Um, but that doesn't answer my question. My question is, 
is there evidence in the text that they know each other, that they're friends, that they're acquainted with each other really at all? Is there any kind of intimacy between them that's reflected in their dialogue? I don't recall any. Um, I don't know that they're strangers. Again, he, 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 will, he will know of them, but like Legolas and Gandalf aren't close, Right nor would they ever have gotten close had Gandalf actually set him on fire. But um, but Legolas's teasing of Gandalf here doesn't suggest to me familiarity. It suggests cheekiness to the wizard, right? Um, it is through this cheekiness that Legolas is like letting Gandalf get to know him, right? Rather than, I think, being a reflection of, um, uh, uh, of, of any, like, you know, friendship with them. <laughs> JJ theorizes that Aragorn is probably the one telling everybody that Legolas was a strange elf. <laughs> Very possible. Very possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I mean, I. Yeah. Um, are there any permanent elf settlements south of Lorien? Well, gosh, that's hard to answer. Um,. I mean, there might be some down by the sea, by the southern havens. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, I mean, there used to be, exactly. Are there still any elves there now? I don't know for sure. Um, anyway, I... Um, I just wanted to kind of check in on that question, because I think it's... Well, there's sort of two things here. One is it just having talked about that from the film, um, and the way and the prominence of that element, I think, in the especially in the initial characterization of Legolas, um, I wanted to I wanted to think about, you know, doing a, a more deliberate comparison and contrast there with the text. Um, but the other th reason is that I think it's this is one of those things. That is very is sort of likely to creep in, you know, um, there are some things that are. There's some things that are not hard, like ways in which the film and the book are different. That are not hard to keep separate, right? Like, you know, unwilling Aragorn, for instance, right? Like I never accidentally import that into my reading of book Aragorn, right? Um, because it's a completely different story, right? The, the movie Aragorn's uh, unwilling king story is a totally different story than book Aragorn's story. And so I never, you know, accidentally import that element into the book. Um, but the things like that, things like the established friendship between Legolas and Aragorn, it's much more subtle. And I think that's a much easier thing for people to import accidentally. And there's, not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong in sort of thinking about or, you know, liking that element of the movie story. It's a, it's a delightful element of the movie story. I like it quite a bit. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful uh, choice and very effective choice. I just wanted to explicitly draw attention to the, to the fact that it is not, in fact, in the book, right? There is a contrast. That's not how the story works here. And it's important for when we look at Legolas and we when we look at it both here and in other places where we're going to see him, um, 
to forget. We, we, we I want to make sure we don't forget that just as in the film, Legolas is a kind of insider, right? Um, he's a kind of insider with Aragorn. Um, and Aragorn is a really central figure in the company. And so therefore, um, there's always this sense in the film, I think, in which Legolas is uh, in the inner circle. Um, and that that is quite um, alien to the books. Um, because Legolas is instead depicted as being quite outside or on a different level, right? Like on top of the snow instead of down in the snow. Um, the, 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 the distance between him and others, again, doesn't mean he's standoffish as we see, right? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they can't be, you know, they can't become friends. And I'm not trying to argue nobody's friends with Legolas or whatever becomes friends with Legolas. It's just that that's not his starting point. And so therefore we need to make sure that we keep that clearly in mind to make sure that we're, we're getting this story right instead of importing that element from the other story. Okay. All right. Um, let's, um, we, let's end there. We're, uh, actually more or less on time and finished like a slide plus today. It was like a, not a slide and a half, maybe a slide and a quarter. Right. I don't know. That was some quick work here this evening. And by the way, we are, Almost at the end of the chapter. How many we have? We've got one, two, three, four. Four slides left. We've got like a month left in this book, right? That's kind of amazing. So, um, I uh, we're going to shift to our field trip tonight. Thanks everybody for joining us. If uh, you can only be here for the book discussion, thank you very much. Uh, and I will see you guys next week. Uh, for those of you who are able to join me on the field trip. Let us do that. Coming back in after my my game always crashes when I resize my window. That happens every time now. So I'm getting back in. Here we go. All right. the raid set up for you thank you thank you coming back into the game here um yeah so sorry yeah valori can be with us tonight she's having uh sad internet outage problems um but druid's fire is with me how are you this evening druid's fire doing splendiferish good sir and yourself good. i'm great i'm great Excited to be here. Get back to our explorations. So we were in the city. Hang on, hang on. I just want to get rid of that. Okay. All right. Um, good. So I think I just need to bring me into the raid, and then we can... There we go. All right. Okay, so back to Sirlond. We will see... Oh, yes, Lovely praise. Tower. Congratulations. Praise having a baby. Wonderful. All right. 
so here we are. Oh, night lies over Cardolan here. Okay. All right, so we were looking around last time trying to get the lay of the land and figure out, like, what this is and who built it and why. So I feel comfortable with that, that this was a first-era city, an old Arnorian city, which then got upgraded by the Cardolingians when they moved in. And now, let's see if we can figure out see if we can figure out what's going on. So this, I think that was always water. So this is the swimming pool. No diving allowed, please. Just a little lap pool. Um, and... Diving not recommended. Oh, yeah. No, look at that. Actually, it is deep. Maybe you could dive in this. I'm not sure. Anyway. Okay, yeah. So we got a we got a real swimming pool here. So Why there's swimming, swimming pool. pool. So like, first of all, okay, like it's possible that they didn't actually swim in it, but still, you make this beautiful decorative or recreational pool with a little. Oh yeah, look, we got a little gazebo area over here. Oh man, and then this little this little lookout beauty spot over here. And notice just like the open floors here, huge windows to see all around the landscape, every direction. Oh man. Definitely Beautiful. more of like a, a peaceful lookout. Like I'm, I'm going to sit here with a couple of friends and have a cup of wine and just look at the pretty landscape. Yeah. Or maybe paint, you know, do like the, um, uh, the, um, what am I thinking of? Not the impressionists, but the, uh, the the fancy upscale people going to the country and painting pictures. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Like in the um, early eighteen hundreds. Right, right, yep. Very possible. the The sheer size of this place, like it doesn't have windows. You know, it has these openings that are, you know, just absolutely cavernous. It doesn't feel like intimate, right? It doesn't feel personal. This feels like a, I don't know, like maybe they had ceremonies or something here. I don't know. This is not just like a place to hang out, I don't think. But maybe. In any case. Um, a paint and wine party. I, I like that. The new romantics is party? what I was sure. thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait, there are figures on the ceiling? Hang on. I didn't notice the ceiling. See, I could be... Oh my God. Are there figures up there? I can't see anything I don't there. know. It just looks like a pattern to me. Yeah, I think it's just a corroded... I think there's like... It's a corroded pattern. Hard to see what was up there. Um, but um, anyway, I... So the first impulse I get, certainly from this part of town, the first impression, I should say, that I get is one of um, uh, comfort, peace, mm -hmm. luxury. I think that uh, these are his and hers changing rooms on either side of the pool. Very possibly. I think that's I think that's what we got here. It's also possible that the pool, I mean, seeds blow in on the wind and it's probably an actual, you know, 
Maybe a little bit of a wave pool at King's Island. Or a wave pool. Could be a wave pool. You never know. Okay, let's see, let's see. You've got your, you know, your beautiful outlook spot. You've got your, and then like more over here is a little, little gazebo that we were looking at last mm -hmm. time. Big gazebo we were looking at last time. Yeah, with the two-tone stars. Yeah, with the two-tone stars, exactly. Lots of just places to hang out, you know, places to be and to look out. This was a place of enjoyment, though huge as well. It's also like a big castle-like space, right? I mean, you know, you've got this, you've got the big doors, double doors, I think. In here, this would have been multi-story, presumably. I don't see, like, evidence of, like, the roof having caved in, though. Well, but you often can't. I mean, if there were wooden beams, it's been, you know, a thousand years. They wouldn't be much evidence of them left, I think. Wouldn't there be, like, a, a hole or something for them to be supported in? In this, like, archway or something? Sometimes. Sometimes. Oh, this isn't a wall. I was thinking this was a wall. No, this is a fallen column that just happened to lie along the wall. Like, oh, I see it fell and rolled and fetched up against the Merlins and then rolled back, probably, something like that. Okay. So we do have Merlins looking down. You know, the, we do have crenellations on the top of this wall, mm -hmm. I, is what I mean, of course. But I'm trying to see the face of the wall. Yeah, okay. It's still not... With those pilasters, right, those the pillars that are set up against the wall there, you don't put those on a wall that you're thinking somebody might try to climb up because you're just giving them handholds, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, this does not look like a wall made for defensive purposes. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, it's... I'm not saying it's not a good defensive position because it totally is. Like, you know, with the steep slope of the hill and the wall up on top with the crenellations, you could hold this, but I don't think anybody thought they were going to be holding this place. Okay, so this whole... this side of it? I, I could see the other side being, like, fortress. Well, that's what I'm going to be interested to see if it does shift. So here we are on the big bridge. And this is the bridge across the main, this main branch of the river here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a, a collapsible bridge, though, so it's not very difficult. No, no, very stable bridge. Okay, so what is on the uh, east bank of the river then. They built this whole extension where we came in there. And that's just like all of it seems to be just like pleasure grounds. Essentially. Gazebos and outlooks and the swimming pool. And this, you know, the building there. But again, I think that the, I don't... It's possible somebody lived over there. But I think it's possible even sort of not. Um, that that was just like the recreational zone or something. But yes, I agree. This is a strong bridge in very good condition. Somebody had to have had a reason to keep it in decent condition. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's just... It's just... Okay, so and here on this side is where we get the bad guys. Now. Right. Let's see. We immediately get more vertical architecture over here. But notice, I mean, the first thing that we see, like courtyard with, like gazebos oh yeah more we're just 
Yeah, we're just hanging out here and... Get a better view of the dial here uh, with the two-tone stars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Like stars within stars and then within another star. Yeah, see, this is one of those archways with the statue up, uh, up on top. Yeah. So, again, this is not a defensible spot right here. This is, you know, this courtyard on the near side of the river. Uh, notice even, I think, that this gazebo is designed to overlook the bridge. Right? Oh, look at the nice bridge and the river down below. You can just see the river. You know, if you look down, actually, I can't see the well, river. So this would be like a safety down. wall, possibly? Yeah, I think this is because yeah, there is a cliff into there. The river. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think this is a safety wall. Um, and even this so is very like OSHA warning. compliant for a change. Yeah, this, well, it, you know, um, it's possible that Arnor had some building codes, though we've not seen that much evidence of that to this point. Um, okay, so here's some more of those crenellations, but and although again, this is going to be overlooking a cliff, right? Yeah, down on the river. Um, once again, your, your outer wall is decorative once more. Right, but we also have yet another ginormous uh, column that toppled over. Mm -hmm. well, where did it topple from? Oh, look at that. Down on, there's a lower level gazebo down there. On top of a little tower that's jutting out there. And see, that also, that would have been a charming little view. A little view of this canyon and the little bridge down there that I think we crossed mm -hmm. over. Yes, we did. Um, you know, looking up. No, this is not northward towards Bree. This is, I'm looking, I'm looking south. All right, I'm looking down the river towards Tharbad. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think everything here so far has the look of being constructed in a way that is designed to ooh look at the busts I don't think we've seen these busts before busts flanking the Cartilingian tower yeah I think we've seen statues in yeah little, and not actual some dude's head on a bus as a bust on a pillar yeah and and they're identical or busts of the same dude. Or twin brothers? Possibly. Possibly just very similar dudes. Or very uninventive sculptor, but um No Stolly the Hewer is not in this part of the content. Huh? That's a Gunda bad joke if never mind. Oh okay. Um Those who know will know. <laughs> okay. I'm just kind of wondering, um, if this is related like which era it's related to, it could be referring to uh, Isildur and Anarion? Well, it's always possible, but I would think that the busts would have to be Cardolan. Um I would think it would have to be Cardolan because um, the tower is behind them. And we never saw... Isildur and Inarian depicted as just like hooded. Or they're just long hair. Right. Well, no, no, no. I'm pretty sure those are hoods. Because you can see the hair underneath it. Yep, I see what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. So I'm wondering about the star at the very, very top of the arch. It looks, it's got a weird 
Uh, it was three-dimensional. Oh. But it, it's got this weird pattern on it. It is weird. It looks like match. another star smushed on top of it. Yeah, but like off-kilter. Yeah. Yeah. Another off-kilter star smushed. Oh, that's weird. Very weird. I haven't seen that. Uh, honestly, out of character, I think it's a bug. Oh, well. But in-game, in theory, I don't know. It's an unusual building style. It's unusual. It's unusual. Could have been knocked askew. Maybe it was... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Well, looking at it from the side, it's definitely the actual stonework of the star itself is three-dimensional. Yeah. So... Yeah. Exactly. I think that's so. The front face the... of it could have been knocked askew. Mm-hmm. Oh well, this path ends rather abruptly. Okay. So this would have been the top of the wall slash colonnade, which no, I wouldn't have gone that far because. Yeah. Like, like, I think into... this whole place was a sweet and peaceful place because if we keep going up keep going up what do we see this place here has it's all caved in and such inside but it has these huge doors again these huge doorways that's not even you don't even have but a are the doorways if there aren't any doors well they can still archways sure but anyway the point is i think i think there was something back there i don't know what but um but yeah if we keep going up we see what do we see up top we see more gazebos more open spaces so yeah okay so this had some of this was originally this was all walled in originally I think yeah I don't see any windows or window frames yeah Okay, so this... I'm not sure what the point of this would have been. I, I'm not sure if this is the living rock or collapsed rock. I mean, there's a couple of bits of collapsed rock. But yeah, it definitely... I think some of it is collapsed. All right, uh, but then I up top... Kind of... Yeah, you see up top here... Wow, I don't even know... Okay, so forget about the safety... Oh, no, they did have a safety wall. It just mostly fell. Okay, so up here, you've just got this big old platform. Yep, here, see, here's the run to the safety wall. Mm -hmm. But there were clearly windows in it regularly. And again, this is here, I think, for the view. Ah, look at our lovely recreational center across the river. Ah, look at the mountains off in the distance and the rolling hills between here and there. I'm wondering right. about this teal-colored rock. This is not a native rock. Is this something that they would have brought down from, say, Angmar? Because it's definitely an Angmar color scheme. We've seen it in a bunch of places here, down here, those blue highlights. I'm not sure where they would have gotten it. Hard to believe it would be Angmar. It's possible, but I don't think that even the Kingdom of Arnor organically reached to Angmar, even in the old days. Um, and just looking at this one cut, it looks like it might be like an inlay of some kind rather than right. an actual rock. Maybe. Maybe okay. That maybe looks so like maybe a it's copper that, or bronze that's uh, 
greened over time. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's metallic rather than stone. Okay, and on the top floor, is this the top floor? Yeah, this is, well, there's still some more buildings over there, but I think this is the top of the hill. Big old gazebo on top with more view. Big view, much view, mini wow. Big view. And no, uh, no fencing to keep you from going yeet. Well, you know. Sometimes you just have to let those building co codes go and not be so obsessive about it. But yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen anything that's designed that really suggests it's designed to be defensible. What is that dude? Oh, he's a defiler? Why is he on fire? He's one of the Kosh orcs? Okay, we've got a little... What is this? little house? A little, uh... Maybe a house, maybe somebody's personal chamber? Very large chamber. Oh, or man. You imagine a... living here, and then you're, you've got the big view right there, and this would be, I guess, their courtyard out here? It's probably be a pretty important person's house. If it's a house. Well, maybe it's like some sort of, I don't know, a meeting hall? Dining hall? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you got like a little feast hall going on there. There's also a path up here to finish out the, the adventure. Wait, which way? Uh, to the south. Uh, so like the opposite direction that I'm looking? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, hang on a second. Yeah, I just want to look at this that. area here. Cause, yeah, that all right, so we missed this down there, but... Oh, no, we didn't. There are stairs. I can go right now. So, yeah, so here's this other tower, and it's mm -hmm. this, this is the same thing. Look at this. You've got this luxurious colonnade leading to another one of these big Decorative. open view towers, just like on the other side. Open, spacious, lovely, with slightly different vistas. It was but, some really big parties here. Yeah, and from the from the I mean with this being up on the hill like this, they're really taking advantage of the like big time views from every single direction. This was a I, I agree, Penlong, I think this is a very opulent city. Now wh wh where are we going to the south? Uh, just go straight to the south. Past straight the south, south little archway, yep. Big ramp. Oh, yeah. Okay. Looking Everybody through the... Faces us. I thought it was just a wall of rock when seeing it through no, the... No, it's actually... It's a paved ramp. It is a paved ramp. You can see, yeah. Very yeah. steep. I, it's like, how, how do horses get up there and get down there without breaking five million ankles? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, so what's up here? This must be... Another one of those big chambers of... Oh, like know. a high feast hall or something? Possibly. Another little half gazebo down here. Oh, and here's you got the courtyard with the even bigger view. Oh, look at the whole recreational center down there. Mm-hmm. Great view of the valley. And even if you're worried about somebody coming up, 
you know, Ponya, you can, you know, spy them uh, in many directions. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get the sense, and I don't see any reason to think that this place was actually built for keeping watch. But, I mean, if they did want to keep watch, this would be a killer place to keep watch from. But no, because, no, I think, all right, and if that was like a major feast hall or something, what do you have over here? This looks, oh, this looks like, what, somebody's basement? I think this might be, I think somebody might have lived up here. That could be a storage room as well. I think it's too well placed up at the very pinnacle up here. Uh, mm -hmm. and another one of these fancy tower outlooks. Indeed. This time facing off due south. Oh, look, there's Herna. Right, so we are now in the tower that we were seeing from across the way down mm -hmm. in Herna. And this is the tower that is recommended that if you really want to see the most amazing view of all of Cardolan is to come up here where we are and look at this at sunset. Yeah. Yeah. Man, look Alas, at this. It is not I mean, I know it's the middle of the night, right? What is it? Uh, for dawn. Eh, if we hang out long, long, long enough, we'll get the dawn. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is just gorgeous. You can see, yeah, this is all about like high quality real estate because of the killer location, right? Killer see views. And, and somebody can see how rich you are. Yeah. Uh, this was probably not always full of bones. No, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is really one of the most decadent locations I think we've seen. Nice little patio over here as well. Yeah, it's just beautiful. I mean, I think you've got really, you've got a full 360 degrees worth of uh, worth of views all around. And I agree, JJ. I was wondering about that. If there's a possibility that there could be a temple, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it's possible because, you know, Numenor was one of the only places where there was definitely, um, okay, oh, and then here's the front gate. Okay, I found the way out. And this has like a whole series of portcullises, though I think that's new. Because they knew this is the one of the only ways to approach this place by land. So I think the Cartilingians installed this set of portcullises. After the fact. After the fact, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think this was one of the most gorgeous and decadent spots in all of Arnor. Was taken over by the Cartilingians, and, and I don't doubt that they had great pride in this place. They don't seem to have changed its character much. They claimed it, right? They put their signs all over it. Um, but they didn't seem to, like, uh, you know, 
build up new fortifications or something like that. I mean, you hardly need to. This place is so um, high up. Yeah, it's kind of defensive, uh, defensible from many directions simply because it's on top of a, the mountain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, even... it would be if you were, in fact, in a, um, you know, in, say, the Arnorian Civil Wars and were worried about people coming down from the north. Um, You'd see them like the... 20 miles away. Yeah, exactly. You'd see them coming far away. They could barely get to this place at all. And it would be easy to defend that entrance. And then, you know, you can just enjoy this huge, spacious, and quite gorgeous city otherwise. So, um, this is... I find it fascinating that the orcs are the ones who have possession of the the main area, and then the, the good guys have the possession of the, the deck chair, as it were. Yes. Yes. Um... Also, I didn't think you could get out from the east side, could you? The recreational area? There's no way down from there, is there? I don't honestly recall. I didn't see one. I think we would have had to, 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 to jump. Yeah, Hologrow says there's a road. Oh, there is a road? Yeah, eh. there's a road from it, yeah, to the main path. From the Lone Land. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, next time, let's head through and go to Gond Orkal, which we skipped. Mm -hmm. And once we do that, then as far as I know, we'll be done with this section here of Andrath. And then we can head from Karnost off east and head into the South Downs over here. And see what we can see over here. But um, uh, but that was cool. This is a this is a really interesting spot. And yeah, you can see. So like, if you think about the big picture, the big Arnorian picture, right? You can see how far south we are compared to. This is really the frontier of Arnor, of old Arnor. Um, it was right near. The Greenway is right near the main road down to Gondor, so it's not its not far off the beaten path. I mean, this is literally the beaten path down to Gondor. Um, but it is further down than most people live. So just as we've seen what we've been calling hunting lodges right down here, mm -hmm. evidence that old Arnorians came down here um, but didn't set up, like, you know, fortresses or cities or, or much of that kind, um, this is... A city set up, but it's almost like this is a this massive um, pleasure palace here, right? Um, and so it would have been worth it. It's way out in the middle of nowhere, but but man, you get you know you come down here for the view, right? Um, oh, indeed. I mean, there's views in every direction. Yeah, you could see how some like very wealthy Arnorian noble was like, oh no, I want to go down and I want to live... I know it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, but... Um, but it's my middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up this, uh, this awesome spot down here in retirement uh, with, like, incredible views. So, yeah. And then, of course, this would have been for the, for the Cardolingians right at the heart of things. 
Um, JJ is wondering if the city could have sprung up around the bridge to protect it and provide stuff for travelers. One could easily see that sort of thing happening, but it just doesn't look like that it is what happened. Um, I mean, I, what I would expect to see if that were the case would be a defensible bridge with defenses on either sides and then like evidence that the city might have grown up around there. But we see, you know, gazebos with great views on either side of the bridge instead. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, all right. I should let everybody go almost on time actually today, which is remarkable. Um, How dare you? <laughs> I know. So next time we'll meet here again and then head up to Gondor Hall and then off to Points East. So thanks everybody for joining us. Um, fun field trip, fun class today, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>